So uh, last week, I shared uh, from a personal experience with the Lord about how he um, showed me something. And I, pardon me, I'll touch on that a little bit, but I got a little bit of feedback that I might have been a little too self-deprecating was the word that I heard. And I, I don't know whether I was or I wasn't. don't much care that much, to be honest with you. But I do want to make sure that you understand that I'm very um, I'm disappointed in myself because these are not things I feel like I should be stumbling over at this stage of my walk in the Lord. But I am. I've prayed some more, and I have a sense maybe that, that uh, as we mature, that, that grace changes a little bit. And that these are the kind of things that are, I, I don't even, I don't feel like they're that more subtle, but, but the kind of things that, that God, he just, there's a grace over your life as he's raising you up, as, as we're pr- being progressively sanctified more and more to be like Jesus. And um, I was, like I said, pretty substantially um, dissatisfied that I would be struggling in these kind of ways, especially when I was pretty also substantially aware that the Lord was speaking to me. But the point I want to make is that I don't identify with those things. I don't identify myself with any failures that I have. I identify there's two people inside this old tent that's going to, you know, it's not going to go to heaven, this tent. Inside, there's an old man and there's a new man. And the old man wants his way. He needs to be crucified daily. That's my flesh. He's the one that wants to get mad over silly things. He's the one that... um, wants to spend time in unproductive ways, but I don't identify with him. Sometimes my soul gives him a place that he should never have, but I don't identify, I don't hate myself, and you shouldn't either. If, if you have to do some introspective looking based upon the scriptures, then do them. And, and if you find things that aren't that attractive, then deal with them, but don't identify with them. I honestly don't identify with him. It's not who I am. It's the old man. He, he's, I don't know how he acts like he gets resurrected, this dead old guy, but he does get resurrected. But I don't identify with him. I, I identify with the new creation, the one that loves Jesus and loves his word and loves his law and, and wants to walk in holiness and righteousness of truth. Amen? Okay. So I didn't want to leave anybody with like a condemning kind of a sense after that thing, and I, I don't condemn myself. I like to give myself a slap every once in a while, but I'm not condemning myself. Okay, so the scripture that the Lord showed me, remember I said last week it felt like there was more, like there was another perspective that I wanted to share. And um, quite honestly, I can't in my own mind totally shape this thing, but I really believe it's the Lord. And and this is the, the other part that, that he was showing me last week about about holiness. And this isn't going to be like a, a holiness teaching. We really need a good holiness teaching. This is, uh, isn't that, but it's a perspective on, on how important holiness is to God and his expectations. If you're Jesus and you're ahead with a, with a nasty body, that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for a body that's holy and righteous and walking in, in, the, in the light. So let me just go back to those scriptures from last week. And, and remember, this was the Lord speaking to me, but it's Scripture, so he's speaking to all of us. It, it starts in 2 Corinthians six, twelve through chapter 7, verse 1. You are not restrained by us. Remember the context for me was the power of God, like I read in the Bible and I see the church and it looks like this. And then in my own uh, life as a Christian and in, in you know, the church in general and the church here, 
um, it doesn't reflect what I see in the scriptures. And, and I've been crying out to the Lord. And, and what he told me in this was, uh, you're not restrained by he, him. I'm not restrained by him. We're not restrained by him. We're restrained by our own affections. So that's the context of this. You are not restrained by us, but you're restrained in your own affections. Now, in like exchange, I speak as to children open wide to us also. And then he starts to give us these these issues of our affections. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Which is another way to say Satan. Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore... Come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you, and I will be a father, Abba, to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, those things that were just shared with us, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement, of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever studied the fear of God, but that's coming. That's a really awesome study. If you study the fear of God through the entirety of the scriptures, it will bless you. And that's how holiness is to be perfected in us, in the fear of God. All defilement taken from us in flesh and spirit, every bit of our being, should not be defiled in any way so that we can have those promises. Now, if you go, and we talked about this quite a bit for quite a while, to First John chapter 1, and I, I love the way John writes because if I'd have started at the beginning, we would hear John say, hey, listen, to what I'm about to tell you because I was with Jesus. We touched him, we felt him, we heard him, we saw him. I mean, there's a place where I think Peter and John each separately talk about being on the Mount of Transfiguration and seeing the Lord glorified. I mean, these guys are speaking with a passion that comes from the experience of having been with Jesus, walking with him for his whole of his ministry, and then seeing and experiencing the resurrected Christ. First John 1, 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So when we walk in the light as he, God, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. That one another's not referencing us. It's referencing us and him. That fellowship with God is only in the light. There is no darkness in God. He is only light, and fellowship with him is only in the light. John 15, verses 4 through 6, Jesus speaking. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine... So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, Jesus, and you are the branches. 
He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. See, we're people of purpose, of mission. When, when we got saved, the goal wasn't reached. That was the, the mechanism to the ultimate goal. Now, it, it was a goal, right? Because our purpose is to seek and to save that which is lost, to destroy the works of the devil, and to bring lost souls to repentance. If you, if you look through the, the New Testament scripture, that's kind of the way our, our purpose is summarized. Jesus in the, in the Great Commission kind of summarizes the same thing. But we're not here because we got saved. We got saved not just to be reconciled to God, which is necessary, but then to fulfill purpose. We're not people that are just wandering through life, waiting to go to heaven and just enjoy heaven. We're, we're people that have a mission from God, which have a purpose. The highest call purpose of our lives is to be the church and to fulfill what God's calling is for us. Now, there's specifics. You know, some are teachers and some are evangelists and prophets and pastors and and apostles, and you know, and, and some have uh, different giftings, and, and some can heal, and some have the gift of, pro, you know, all these different things. But ultimately, it's all to edify, to build up the church, that the that the lost world might be saved, that Jesus would be raised up and glorified, and that the banquet table would be full, that that there would be no empty chairs at the banquet table, at the marriage supper of the Lamb and His church. We're not just to be saved; we're for purpose and mission. And you think about this branch that gets thrown away. Why, why does the branch get thrown away? Is it because it didn't abide in Jesus? It is, but it's because it didn't produce fruit. If you read that John 15 scriptures in, in the broader context, you'd find that, that Jesus is the vine and we're the branches and God the Father is the vine dresser. And the branch that abides in Jesus isn't perfect. It's pruned by the vine dresser, the Father. And anything that causes the... Re, the less fruit than possible, it gets pruned away. If it's drawing but it's not producing fruit, it gets pruned away. But the branch that doesn't produce fruit is cut off and it's thrown into the fire, which, you know, he doesn't directly say it, but that seems kind of like a hell reference to me, that you'd be thrown away and burned. The point is that we're called to fruitfulness. Think about the parable of the talents, the parable of the minas. You know, there's three characters, there's four characters. There's the master there's the, uh, the slaves, the servants, and uh, the three servants have been given an investment. The master invests some of his, his wealth in them. Then he goes away. Well, Jesus has gone away, and he's invested in us, the Holy Spirit, right? And those people, the, the minas and the talents guys, he comes back. Jesus is coming back, and we're going to give an account, right? Not necessarily that we're going to give an account unto our salvation, but we're going to give an account unto our reward, the, the guy who got five minas or five talents, he invested them. He did something with what, what the master gave him, and he returned five more. The two-talent guy returned two more. The reward was exactly the same. Well done, good and faithful slave. Enter into your master's joy. Because it didn't matter that the five guy got five and the two guy got two. It's that the five guy did with what he had, which was more, and the two guy did with what he had, which was a little bit less. But the, but the one-talent guy... He, he didn't do anything with it. He didn't invest it, 
that there would be a return to his master. And he was called wicked and lazy, and he was, I believe, cast into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the talent that was given to him was given to the one who produced the five. Now, he had 11 talents because if you're faithful with a little, you'll be trusted with more. That's the parable of the seed and the soil. It's the same thing, the revelation of God to him who has more will be given to him who doesn't. Even what he has will be taken away. God expects that his church is going to bring back a return on the investment that he's placed inside of us. In order for all of that to function the way it should, we need to be cleansed of all defilement of both flesh and spirit, perfected in holiness in the fear of God. And that was last week. But there's scriptures that teach more than just ourselves. We're not just to cleanse ourselves of all defilement, but we're also to cleanse the church of all defilement. And that's, that's the conversation that I want to have today in the sense of bringing about holiness, being cleansed of defilement, such that all that God wants to do through us all that he desires to, to have happen based upon his investment in us will be brought to bear for his kingdom and there'll be great rejoicing when we come to be with the Lord because he will have trusted us and we will have responded and brought back a harvest for him, right? So to that end, let me read you some not-so-fun scriptures, but they're the teaching of God's word and we need to heed these teachings. Start in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean the, with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. So Paul is telling the church at Corinth, which was this kind of little bit crazy church, he's like, uh, don't have anything to do with these kind of people. But, but you must have misunderstood because I'm not talking about the world. You know, the world, that's all they are, is idolaters and covetous and, and sexually immoral. You know, you, you would have to be completely separated from the world. I wasn't talking about them. He goes on to say, but actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what? Have I to do with judging outsiders? Remember Jesus in John chapter 3 said he didn't come to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. The world, he says, is already judged. And Paul's saying the same thing. For I, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So, Sometimes a church gets all balled up over someone who's a homosexual, but they're not a Christian. It's like they've made no commitment to Jesus. They could do what they want. We're not to judge them. We're to be vessels of love and kindness that they might repent and come to see Jesus lifted up and then gain life in Jesus Christ. People in the church, if somebody confronts them over something, they're like, who are you to judge me? It's like, well... We have to. I, I heard somebody teaching a class one time, and they said, listen, you know, if you don't have a relationship with me, don't you dare come up and say something to me about my sin. And I stopped the class, and I had to say, wait a minute, that is absolutely biblically wrong. I understand what you're trying to say, 
But maybe that's the person that God has allowed to see your sin. And if you tell them they don't have permission to confront that sin, then you're not going to be confronted. You're not going to be called to account. And ultimately, you harm your own relationship with Jesus and you defile the body of Jesus himself in the church. So we have to be willing to take that judgment from other people, not judging us unto condemnation, but judging the sin behavior in our lives such that holiness can be manifested, not just in us, but in the whole entire body of Jesus. 2 Thessalonians 3.6 says very similar. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you received from us. I, I mean, I don't have, if, if, if somebody in this church is living in a very sinful manner that needs to be dealt with, I don't know who you are. I don't, I don't know that there is somebody that doesn't have a name in here. I, I really don't know. I mean, I personally can't be intimate with all your lives. The first thing you ought to do is be intimate with yourself and the Holy Spirit so that you could cleanse yourself of, of all unrighteousness. But sometimes we have blind spots. I'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, and, and if we can't see it, and we don't allow ourselves into a place where somebody else can see it, then it's not going to get dealt with. And then the, the, the church would criticize that as not being loved sometimes. But who are we to love in a way different than how Jesus would indicate that we should love one another and how we should maintain his own body, right? So if Jesus is telling us, which all scriptures God breathed, if the Lord is saying, listen, if, if this is going on, confront it and deal with it now there's a right way to do that we'll talk about that in a second too but you can't ignore it i didn't put it in the sermon today but when the lord was sharing this with me and i'm like i'm not uh the the old testament prophetic books forgive me as your pastor teacher guy they just make my head swim you know there's people that can read ezekiel and they're just like wow and and i'm reading ezekiel and i'm just going this is just gives me a headache i don't I just have a hard time understanding it. And, and don't tell anybody, but I actually read those in the New Living Translation next to my New American Standard because it helps a little bit. But there's a place in Ezekiel that the Lord reminded me of, and it talks about being a watchman on the wall. And, and it says that, listen, if I make, uh, <laughs> just for the purposes of, I'll be the bad guy in this one. So if, if I'm someone in sin, and Bill is God, and Keith is the watchman on the wall, God says to him, I make you aware of that guy's sin and you don't address it. When he comes to account, you're going to have his blood on your hands. But if I make you aware of his sin and then you go confront it, because ultimately what the, the Lord is looking for is repentance and the person doesn't repent, then they will see God's wrath based upon their own iniquity, but you'll be free from it because you did what you were told to do as the watchman on the wall. So if God gives us that visibility to something, he's expecting us to confront it because he wants that person to repent. Second Thessalonians, just a little bit further down in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, he says again, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, Take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So that's twice in one chapter to the Thessalonian church. He spoke it to the Corinthian church where we're starting to see this pattern of how we should 
not only maintain holiness in our own vessels, but also within the corporate vessel of the body of Christ. And in Matthew chapter 18, and, and you should read this one. You know, when you go home today or tomorrow, read Matthew chapter 18 and start with these three verses I'm going to share with you, 15 through 18. And then with that in mind, look at the rest of chapter 18 because our Bibles tend to put these bold headings, you know, and, and they, they lead us to think, okay, there's a thought, done, next bold heading, there's a thought, next bold heading. But they're not. There's no bold headings in the original scriptures. And, and you'll see this about discipline within the church followed by, but Lord, if my brother sins against me, you know, how many times do I have to forgive him? He's like, seven? And the Lord says, no, 70 times seven. So in, in the context of discipline, he's talking about forgiveness and repentance that we would never, ever stop, that the ultimate goal is reconciliation, rep repentance under reconciliation and, and, and wholeness of the body, unity in the body of Christ, which is interesting. In the youth, they're speaking on unity today. I don't know exactly from what perspective. Okay, so anyway, this one again starts to speak to both instruction and process. The last one did, instruction and process. It says in the last one, don't associate with that one so that they'll be put to shame, but don't regard them as an enemy, but as a brother. And then Matthew, this is Jesus now speaking, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he re refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. If you read a little further, this is the, the context of the scripture where, where we hear all the time quoted, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. The context of that scripture is this, in a church discipline kind of a teaching. So um, if I notice a brother in some sort of trespass, my requirement from the Lord is that I would go and I would approach them in private, right? We don't want to expose somebody's sin to the whole church if it could be dealt with in private so that they don't have to have shame. If, if you look in uh, Genesis, you'll see a situation after the flood, I think it's after the flood, where uh, Noah's three sons are outside the tent or whatever, and um, I think it's Ham, but I shouldn't implicate him when I'm not sure. One of the three sons notices that his father is drunk and he's naked. I mean, he got bombed and got naked. And he went and he told his brothers about his father's drunkenness and his father's nakedness. And his brothers, instead of broadcasting their father's trespass, they took like a robe or a blanket or something, and, and they each, like one of them held it here and one of them held it over there, and they walked backwards to their father, and they covered his nakedness without, without viewing his nakedness. See, that's the example that Jesus is trying to give us here. The, the first son was harshly rebuked by uh, Noah. I think it was the father of the Canaanites, and that the Canaanites would be cursed because his son exposed his nakedness to his brothers instead of covering his, you know, looking after his father's nakedness. So when we, conf when we see somebody in a trespass, we confront them privately. And, and, and we 
hope to lead them to a place of repentance. But if they choose not to repent, then we would take two or three witnesses and together we would go looking to not expand the visibility but to bring them to repentance. Now, there's a weird question that comes up, right? How did I figure out there were two or three other people that knew about that person's problem without what we would call gossip, which would then be our problem, right? And here's what I have to say about that. Absolutely nothing, because I don't have an answer. Except I think the Lord would cause that to happen because that's the mechanism he's given us to deal with that sin when the first one doesn't. So somehow, outside of gossiping about somebody, maybe you actually can talk about a problem with somebody with a right heart, and it's not gossip, where if you talked about it with a bad heart, it is gossip. I honestly don't know for sure. But the next step in the process is that multiple witnesses would come and confront this sin. It's like, no, this is wrong, and you need to repent. Can we pray with you? What can we do to help you? Um, But if that doesn't work, then they're to be brought to the church. And that is a literal public shaming. Now, in our culture, my guess is that person isn't coming to church that Sunday. But maybe if they're humble... They would, and they would literally be put out of the church until they would choose to repent. So if you think about Jesus died on the cross, he suffered the most unimaginable suffering, the full wrath of God poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ, that somebody could be part of his body, that they could be reconciled to God, be part of the church. How important is holiness to God if he would say, if a person won't repent, don't eat a meal with them? Don't associate with them. And, and, and if you've made a couple runs at them within the body and they still don't repent, treat them as a tax collector or a Gentile. His love hasn't changed. His love is perfect. But the body to be holy is so important that he would say, get that person out of here until they repent. And, and just a word on being part of the church. It should really be something that we would hate to be put out of the church right in our culture you can't i almost said spit you can't throw a rock and not hit a church right even in little argentine there's two churches and maybe a third one being reestablished just right up there at the corner three churches it's like uh, you know i'll just leave this church and go to that church but if you're truly a christian and you're being placed under discipline your issue is not with that pastor or that elder board your issue is with god And if you already have an issue with God, you surely shouldn't dishonor him by then going just to another church and bringing your mess into that place without dealing with it. Now, you may choose not to stay in your church, but you should never leave a church under discipline. You should always get that thing cleaned up and leave on good terms if if you feel like that's not the right church for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. Sanctification is a big word. It's, it's, it's used sometimes synonymously with holiness, in holiness, in sanctification. But it means that we were called for, for not impurity, but to be set apart. Where, where James and um, John in their letters say, that uh, to be a friend with the world is to be an enemy of God, that, that friendship with the world, you know, we're to be sanctified, set apart, out of the world. Where Jesus, or Jesus, where Jesus through the Apostle Paul says, come out from them, don't touch what is holy, that's, that's a function of being sanctified, is coming out from that 
which is the world. You're not called to be part of the world. You're in the world, but you're not called to be part of the world. And those things that might be pleasing to your flesh, man, have to be denied because we're to be sanctified for God's purposes. And in holiness, we're effective in his purposes. So, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So I could call you to discipline, and you might choose not to repent. And I might tell you, then you can't come back. We'll be praying for you. We're not giving your chair away. We want with all of our heart for you to be reconciled back into the body of Christ. But until you're willing to repent, you can't come back. And you say, you know, whatever. It's not me that you're rejecting. And you need to understand that, that it's the Lord that you're rejecting. It's his instruction. And heaven forbid that we should choose to place our thoughts and ways above his thoughts and ways in his own body. Amen? Amen. Okay. So that's kind of the harsh what, but it's not harsh because it's love and it's God's way. Here's kind of the what behind or the how behind it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, and, and this is a little snippet from a much broader conversation, but it makes a good point. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So our ministry is reconciliation. Seek and save that which is lost is reconciliation. To bring lost souls to repentance is reconciliation. Ultimately, to destroy the works of the devil is reconciliation because sin is what's caused people to be separated from God, and our ministry is to, be, is to reconcile them. And also that that reconciliation would extend to the body of Christ with each other. So our, our job is not to cleanse the body and forget about the person who's struggling. Our job is ultimately to bring them back into a reconciled state, not just with the Lord, but also with the body. Amen? Okay. So bitterness can't be a part of that conversation. Certainly pride can't be a part of that conversation. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Again, a little bit more about the how. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So when we have to confront, that's a hard conversation, right? That's a, that's a rough one. When we have to confront something, we, we do it not in a spirit of anger, not in a spirit of pride, not in a spirit of, ah, you know, I'm better than you. We do it gently because that person is already injured. They've injured themselves. They've injured their relationship with the Lord. They're hurting. If we confront a wounded animal aggressively, their response is to fight, protect themselves. But if we come gently towards someone who's wounded, who's hurting, who's, who's probably very aware of what they're done, but somehow is stuck in it and they can't find their way out, we come gently. That, that doesn't scare them. It doesn't cause them to get pushed back on their heels. It, it, it creates a spiritual environment where they can receive from us. And we do it with a mind towards ourselves because you know, kind of by the grace of God, but for the grace of God, there go I. We could easily be in the other place and someday probably will be and have to be humble about our own transgressions and, and restoration, that we should come examining ourselves 
in gentleness to somebody who needs correction. And then finally, Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck from your brother's eye. It, I don't know that I will ever be in the place of sinless perfection if, if that's what's called for. But I have to be in the place of humility to recognize that, that if it's, it's obvious to the church that I'm living some kind of messed up lifestyle and that I'm going to go and try to correct somebody else, I need to clean my porch before I tell you your porch is dirty. I need to get that plank out of my eye before I start trying to do surgery with the plank in your eye. And maybe for the very reason that because of my unholiness, rather than deliver you from your problem, I'll make your problem worse because God's presence won't be with me. So we have to humble ourselves and make sure that there's nothing that we need to deal with before we go deal with somebody else in their situation with the Lord. And interestingly, we had had a, um, it's kind of a cool testimony, as talking with um, somebody who, about this very topic. And the, the issue of concern of hypocrisy within our church came up. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, I don't know anybody that seems to walk in hypocrisy. You're going to miss the best part. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, that, that strikes me as you know, being hypocritical. And uh, they shared something with me. And I'm like, man, who is that? But they didn't want to tell me who it was, but they weren't sure what to do. There was three of us. And, and you know, bless the third guy. He, he knew that, that, that more conversation needed to be happening. It wasn't for his ears. He got up and excused himself. And we started having the conversation, and I said, well, who, who is it? And he told me. And I said, well, what in the world would cause you to think that? And he told me. But his perspective, you know, if this is the picture, it's like the elephant, right? You got blind guy trying to describe an elephant, and he's got his arms wrapped around its leg. It's like, well, an elephant's like an oak tree, man. He's just this big cylindrical kind of thing, but he can't see the whole elephant. So he's describing what he sees but he hasn't got a perspective broad enough to really make a good judgment on what he got his arms around. It's not an oak tree, it's an elephant. It's got a trunk and a head and flappy ears and legs and you know all that stuff. So I was able to give him some broader perspective and, and he's like, wow, man, I was wrong. That wasn't hypocrisy at all. You know, I'm so glad that I didn't address that thing because I would have been out of place. That was awesome, you know. So then number three comes back. We're talking some more about the scriptures and different things. And and the first person gives me a, tells me a story at work about some person, must have been in some kind of, you know, supervisory role, who loved to correct the employees loudly and in front of the higher-up bosses so that every time they're getting corrected, it's in front of somebody that really matters to their, their job. And he really thought that was wrong. So he took that person aside, and he corrected them with um, language that we don't read in the Bible, you know, strong kind of language. I thought, wow, you know, you, you should have probably been better to use language you would find in the Bible. And was like, well, you know, that's, you know, that's the kind of language that, you know, that those folks hear and, and understand. I said, yeah, you know, we have a name for people that would 
profess themselves to be godly and then talk to somebody else with that kind of language. And they're like, well, what's that? And I'm like, well, it's an H word. And weren't getting it. One of them, I'm like, well, it's an H, an H that follows a consonant instead of a vowel, which English class wasn't the right idea. You know, one of them said, hell. I said, no, that's, too, that's a vowel, not a consonant. And then the, th- the, the third guy said, hypocrisy. And I'm like, yeah. And the first guy's like, oh, my gosh. I'm the hypocrite, you know. And I said, well, I wouldn't label myself that way. But isn't it interesting, the blind spot, that, that what you thought you could see in somebody else, you couldn't see in yourself. And if it wasn't for somebody else seeing a situation, you'd have not known. And, and your witness of the Lord wouldn't have been so excellent as it could have been. Now, the glory in that whole thing is there was no offense taken. It was, you know, it was gentle, the conversation. And, and, and the person said to me, he says, man, you set me up so good for that. And I said, no, I had no idea to do that. I mean, you served a, a, you know, a slow pitch up right yourself, but it was the Lord because there was such a wonderful point able to be made. So the point in that is we got blind spots. And we need to be careful. And sometimes you may have a situation where you need to go address in somebody else and you might want to talk to somebody that knows you and say, hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm not telling you who and I'm not telling you what, but I got to go address a sinful situation with somebody else. I'm not aware of any planks in my own eyes. Are you? Is there anything I need to deal with so that I'm in a place of holiness where the Holy Spirit can flow well through me so that that person can be reconciled and will repent? So if we're to be effective in mission, purpose, fruitfulness, we need to yield to the instruction of God's word. We need to do the fun stuff and we need to do the tough stuff. Because the good stuff doesn't flow out of bad stuff. God doesn't fellowship in darkness, only in light. So here's some conclusions. (laughs) I should read my notes before I talk. Fellowship with the Lord is only, big letters, only in the light. He doesn't fellowship in darkness. Fruitfulness, the fulfillment of purpose and calling, only happen abiding in the Lord. There is no fruitfulness. Jesus says you cannot produce fruit outside of that you abide in him. Therefore, because fellowship with the Lord is only in the light and fruitfulness only comes from abiding in Jesus, we have to cleanse ourselves of all defilement, personally and corporately. The goal of any confrontation, any confronting, is always repentance and reconciliation. It's never judgment. It's never being right over somebody else's wrong. It's never to exalt ourselves. It's only in a lowly place that we're really excellent in that conversation it's only for repentance and reconciliation the method to confront is evaluating ourselves first no plank no log in our eyes in a spirit of gentleness in private and not regarding him or her as an enemy but as a brother or sister someone with you would have genuine concern for and then that leads to just two questions that you can mull on Do you have the love and the courage to biblically confront sin in the church? You don't have to answer it to me, but you need to answer it to yourselves. Because likely God is going to make you aware of something over the course of your life in the body 
and it takes love to do it well and courage to do it at all. Do you have both the love and the courage to confront those things with somebody else? And then do you have the humility to receive confrontation and correction from somebody else? And that's, a, that's an area of maturity that I would suggest we would all do well to practice before we get to that day. Imagine yourself. Maybe you can in a, in a real situation that you're involved in right now. If you are, best that you repent before somebody is made aware of it. Or in some situation that you've gained victory over, but back in the past you hadn't yet gained victory over it. And imagine somebody confronting you over that. What would your response be? Would you humble yourself? Confess? Pray with me? Repent? You know... We had that situation with our worship leader a few years ago, which was one of the most glorious things that our church has ever gone through. I mean, it was a hard one. It was a, a very embarrassing, um, ugly situation. But for shame, the person never got help. And ultimately, it wasn't through somebody in the church, but the Lord saw that the, that the person was exposed so that the sin could then be dealt with, repentance could come. Love, man, the love was awesome. Love was just awesome as the church came around that person in that situation and total reconciliation, total repentance, total deliverance, total everything. Don't let shame, don't let pride, don't let fear, don't let insecurity cause us, any of us, you, me, to respond in a way that's not going to bring reconciliation. If, if you're confronted with something, like it could have been, you know, that person could have confronted that other person about this particular, you know, hypocrisy that turned out not to be hypocrisy. And, and then that person would have had to evaluate, gosh, is there hypocrisy? And maybe there wasn't. And, and in the spirit, you know, that is going to get sorted out. But that person would have had to receive humbly the word that came, right? We're not all, um, all the way Jesus yet. And we might make a mistake. So if we go in gentleness and humility and we receive in humility, then ultimately God's will will be done. But if we think, who are you to tell me? Then we don't understand God's word and we don't understand that the world and the enemy is forever trying to suck us back into darkness, back into darkness. Get us to practice those things that will be a bad witness for the Lord that won't demonstrate to the world the, the glory and the goodness of God and it won't get fixed and the church will be fractured because the scriptures teach us, and we have to be obedient to the scriptures, that if there is defilement within the church, ultimately, if it won't be repented of, it has to go. Because the church, it could be, you know, Jessica has been telling me, not so much lately, but for years, you know, it might be 18 months between times or two years between times, that there's sin in the leadership of the church, and it's hindering the move of the Holy Spirit within the church. And we've talked about it in, in our elder meetings and whatnot. And, you know, if it's, if it's present, it's not something that, that we're aware of amongst each other. And I believe that everybody, you know, would repent if they knew. But it's a sense of somebody who is very spiritually sensitive the Lord saying, hey, listen, tell them, you know, there's something that needs to go because, you know, if the, if the door of the Holy Spirit coming in could be all the way open, it's not like it's slammed shut, but it's not as open. And we know that, right? How do we know it? Because we look in the book, 
book of iPad, in the book of Acts, and we see the church. And we look inside here, and we see a different church. Not, not an absolutely different church, but we don't see the same that we see in the book of Acts. So there's something. It's not God. It's his good pleasure to give us his kingdom. There's something that's restricting it, and, and it could be defilement. So that's, that's today's message for you. Here comes Mrs. Brady. She's going to close for me. I want to say a prayer first. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've given us a mechanism that if, if we're sinning, we can confess that sin, and you are faithful and just or righteous to forgive that sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that, that we should be more afraid of hiding in sin than confessing sin. And, and you are calling for us to be a holy church, to put off all defilement of flesh and spirit. And Lord, we thank you for that word. We thank you for your spirit that dwells within us so that we can have a sense. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given us humility and compassion and love and instruction because we desire to be holy as you are holy, that, that we might accomplish all of the things that you have for us to do individually and corporately, that we bring glory to the name of Jesus and salvation to the lost world. And we just say these things to you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And I just want to leave you with this scripture today. Just a word of encouragement. That, that's a good teaching. It can also feel a little rough. Um, but two things that the Lord has been showing me, that in Romans uh, 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore you have no excuse as believers we have no excuse every one of us who passes judgment for in that which you judge another you condemn yourself so that's a word of warning but as as believers it's really not he's just saying be who you are have no excuse like pat was saying cleanse your heart but the encouragement i want to leave for you is hebrews 12 therefore we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the why. This whole message is not a word of correction. It's a word of encouragement. That everything that, that Pastor Pat just spoke today is for our good. Just like everything in here is for our good. That if we live and abide by his word and his truth, it's for our good. And not, not only for us, but for everyone around us. And if we walk this out in our own lives and be responsible for us, then everyone that we meet will see Christ in us and have hope for glory in their future. Amen? So we thank you, Lord. We ask that you go with us. We know you go with us. May we be a blessing to everyone in our scope of the influence today.
May we see the plank in our own eye, God, and just come to you boldly to the throne of grace and mercy and allow you to change us so that we in place can be the change, the vehicle of change in others. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.